Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. Okay, that does not work. Okay. I'm going to say He is risen, and your part is to say He is risen indeed, with some um, conviction. All right. So here we'll try that again. He is risen. Much better, much better. Thank you for scratching my liturgical itch. It means a lot. Everybody good? Everybody good? Awesome. Hey, uh, wasn't, the, wasn't the choir great this morning? Yeah. Dude, we were bringing it this morning. Bringing it. Yeah, we should do that more. We should do that more. That's my vote. Not that Hannah listens to me, but it is my vote. Every single Tuesday at staff meeting, uh, the way we make decisions is we arm wrestle. I often get deep. That has nothing to do with the message this morning. I want to talk to you this morning, and I want to bring you a little bit of good news, maybe inject the room with a little bit of hope. I want to talk to you about being united with Christ this morning. And isn't this a great piece of art? Isn't that cool? I wish I had that at my house. You know, European Jesus with a flag. Works for me. Anyway, I want to read you a scripture from the Gospels before we get to our main text this morning. I want to read you something from the Gospel of Mark. And I want you to notice how abrupt the ending is. How abrupt the ending is. It goes like this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James... And Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone Because they were too frightened. Stop. Now some of your Bibles probably have some extra words there at the end of Mark. And I like the extra words. But the oldest manuscripts, this is how the Gospel of Mark ends. I've got no issue with the longer ending. I think that's all good. But I like this ending. I like this ending because it's so darn weird. Can you imagine telling the whole story of Jesus and then all of a sudden, verse 8, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. End of the book. Is that a satisfying ending? Is it odd? It is odd. It is odd. And notice all of the weird things that are put in there. Jesus is resurrected from the tomb and is mostly trembling, bewilderment, and fear. By the way, if you read all the Gospels, the one word that recurs more than almost any other word surrounding Jesus' resurrection is fear. Good news. But I like this one because it's so darn odd. And it really, it really grabs for us something I want to talk about here on the front end. It really grabs for us this reality that oftentimes when something really amazing happens, we don't know what it means in the moment. Even when you experience it, even when you experience something amazing, even when you're in the room, even when you're there, even when something amazing is happening to you, usually you don't know what it means till later. And also, the greater the experience, usually the longer amount of time it takes to process so that we can begin to get a handle on what does it mean. For instance, for instance, um, everybody in here is a, little bit older a little bit we got a couple young ones in here but everybody here is a little bit older and for the most part everybody in the room has gone through puberty am i right i think so you remember puberty when you started growing armpit hair and smelling bad <laughs> if you're unsure if you don't remember it's just go and hang out with some middle school kids 
They're disgusting. <laughs> Truly. Puberty is an amazing thing. All of these hormones you didn't even know you had start coursing through your veins. You start feeling things. Things are happening to you. And even though your mom and dad sit you on the couch or at the kitchen table and they have a very awkward conversation with you about what's happening in your body, how many of you understand you don't even know what's happening to you? Even though you've heard the explanation, you can't make sense of it for years. Right? It's nuts. This is, every amazing thing takes some time to process it. We see it here in the Gospel of Mark. Not only that, but when you get married, when you stand up front with your husband or with your wife in front of God and everyone else, and you say, I do, the truth is you'd have no idea what that moment means or what you just got into. You can go to premarital counseling. In fact, I recommend premarital counseling. And you can have premarital counseling for a year. And premarital counseling for a year will not prepare you for saying yes to that person. You will still have no idea what's going on. Uh, by the way, I recommend premarital counseling. Uh, you should do that. I also recommend postmarital counseling. In, in fact, I just, re- I just recommend counseling. I just want to say that probably everybody in this room needs to go to counseling. Why? So that you can begin to get a handle on what you just said yes to. The fact is, you pretty much don't know anything. This is my personal opinion. You don't know anything about marriage until you've been married for 10 years. You have no clue. And then you're like, oh, wow. (laughs) I've been married to my wife for 16 years and I still don't know her. The more amazing the event, the more time it takes to process what really happened. And then when you have a kid, when you have a kid, you can read what to expect when you're expecting. You can read all the mommy blogs. You can be a pro. You can hold babies. You can be a doula. You can go into the room when other women are having babies. You can watch your sister nurse. You can change your nephew's diaper. And the truth is, until you have your own, you don't know anything. You don't know a thing. It's the problem with having the first one. The first one is the experiment. It's the reason they're all jacked up. Firstborns. Like, God help them. Firstborns. Yeah, because you don't know anything. And no one can tell you anything. And by the way, the mom who's like, oh, everything's perfect. Everything's great with her first one. Don't believe it. It's Jack, man. She's lying. At night, she's crying her eyes out. Why? Because you don't know anything. You don't know what that means. And you have to have a kid for a few years before you begin to wake up. Wow, this is really a big like, you know it's a big deal, but you cannot articulate why it's a big deal for years. And then something begins to happen. And this idea of, like, multi-generations and, like, we're called to do something that's bigger than just my life or even my kid's life. But we're going we're gonna, to, like, our family is called to do something, like, that's multi-generational, like, everywhere. Like, we can't get rid of the farm. we got to do this thing. This land is not just land. This farm is not just a farm. This is, like, some kind of heaven thing, and God is putting us here, and I'm not just a dad, but I'm a progenerator of generations, and these are not just my kids. This is the future. Like, that stuff doesn't happen at the beginning. You don't even know. You're just, like, covered in myconium. You know that really black, that black tar crap that happens? Yeah, I just said crap on a Sunday morning and Easter. Jesus ain't even offended. He knows about it. When you get myconium on your hands, that stuff doesn't come off. You don't. You can read about myconium in a mommy blog. You don't know the meaning of it until you have it. You don't know anything. The greater the event, the more time it takes to process what happened. What happened? What happened? Furthermore. Furthermore. For a certain generation of people, uh, people who are even among us this morning, The question that defined their life, and in some ways still defines, not the whole thing, but it's a touchstone. The questions that define their life was this question. Do you remember where you were when JFK was shot and murdered? Right? You know what's interesting about the murder of JFK? Is that if you were alive when JFK was shot, you do remember where you were when you found out the news. It's one of these big events, and in the moment, we know that it carries gravity, but we have no idea what it means, and it actually took us years to begin to process what did it mean for an American president to get shot in broad daylight in front of his family and God and everyone? What did it mean? Historians, looking back on it, have told us that that the significance, and I actually do agree with this, that the significance of JFK being shot and murdered, aside from just the horror of somebody getting gunned down in broad daylight, was it was, it was the day that America lost its innocence. 
But you don't know that on the front end. You feel it. You can't articulate it. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. That a handsome man with a beautiful wife and lovely children shot down in the middle of the street. Part of what that means is that everything was not as perfect as we had assumed. Something hideous was simmering beneath the surface. See, up to to that point in America, we were just all convinced that we were perfect. We had a perfect president. He's handsome. His wife is lovely. His kids are pretty. And everything's great. We called it Camelot. And then one day, somebody who's crazy comes out and guns him down in broad daylight. And what we realize is... It's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. But you can't process that on on the front end. It takes years. It takes time. The greater the event, the more time it takes. Likewise, in 1991, there was this band called Nirvana. And there was this guy named Kurt Cobain. And they released a single called Smells Like Teen Spirit. And in one week, they changed music forever. One week. They caught lightning in a bottle. They caught lightning in a bottle... And in one week, music changed forever. Uh, up to that moment, if you were not alive, most of us in here were. Up to that moment, this is formational years for me. 1991, I was a freshman in high school. This is formational years. Up to that moment, the, the cool thing was hair bands. Like, people thought Poison was cool. You guys know the band Poison? They thought Unskinny Bop. That's what was cool. And then Kurt Cobain comes out with Smells Like Teen Spirit. And then everyone is hiding their Poison Unskinny Bop albums in shame. They threw them away. I know a kid who did that. It was me. I, <laughs> but they caught lightning in a bottle. And in the moment, we're just thinking, this is like, this is something new. It's a new sound and it's cool and it's fresh. But looking back, what I've come to believe is that I believe that Kurt Cobain was singing a whole generation's angst. And I, believe, I personally believe that he was singing a particular kind of angst. We knew it, but we couldn't articulate it. And this is the angst that I believe that Kurt Cobain was singing in that song and everything else that he put out. I believe that Kurt Cobain was singing the pain of a seven-year-old boy whose mom and dad got a divorce and he couldn't process it. In fact, I'll just read you what Kurt said about his mom and dad's divorce. This is what he says. He says, I remember feeling ashamed when they split up. It was weird. I was ashamed of my parents. I was ashamed that they couldn't stick it out and that they wouldn't stick it out for me. I couldn't face some of my friends at school anymore because I desperately wanted to have this classic, you know, typical family. Mother, father. I wanted the security, so I resented my parents for quite a few years after that. I believe it's on the record. And I believe America is such a divorced nation that we picked up on it and we knew exactly what he was talking about, even if we couldn't understand the words. Does that make sense? The greater, the longer. And it's the same thing. It's the thing. It's the same thing when we come to Jesus' resurrection. It's thrilling. People were excited. They're bewildered. They're scared. They're running out of a tomb with spices on their hands. But it wasn't until later that people were able to begin to get a handle on what exactly happened and especially what it meant. And by the way, this is always par for the course with Jesus. People almost never understand what Jesus is talking about in the moment. We rarely understand what he's talking about later, but if we understand anything, it's always later. I want to read you a piece of scripture out of John chapter 2. This is early. This is Jesus. He's having a little chat with his best buds. He says, all right, destroy this temple. He's talking about the, the giant temple in Jerusalem. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. What? It's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But Jesus said to them, But when Jesus said to them, this temple, he meant his own body. And after he was raised from the dead, his his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. What's the point? Oftentimes what God is up to, you don't understand in the moment. It's a dramatic experience. You feel it. You can't articulate it. It takes time. Same thing with the resurrection. This is like, this is a perfect picture of who Jesus is and the way he works. So it's good to meditate through these things. It's good on Easter and it's good on Holy Week to begin to slow down and meditate through the scripture and to consider again, what does it mean that Jesus was nailed to a cross, dead, buried, laid in a tomb, and then three days later got up absolutely alive? Well, here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to turn to St. Paul. Because Paul has a few ideas of what the death and resurrection of Jesus mean. And this is written... A few years after the event. We'll start in chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to read 11 verses here. 
Paul says this, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that the grace of God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Now we're jumping right in the middle of an argument that won't make any sense now, but it will later. He says, Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live brand new lives. Go on. Since we have been united with Him, that's a really important word, since we've been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. This is what the resurrection means. We are no longer slaves to sin. This is what the resurrection means. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Pretty good news. Pretty good news. Before we can pick this passage apart a little bit, I need to give you just a little bit of context. A little bit of context. Context goes like this. There seems to have been a charge and an accusation that followed Paul around as he preached the good news of God. Paul preached the good news. And some people heard something in his good news that really wasn't there. This is what Paul preached. He preached that people were justified, meaning they were made right. Paul preached that people were made right with God by grace through faith, meaning that you can't impress God into being a righteous person. Meaning that you can't do enough good works to earn salvation. This is what Paul preached. It's a good word. You can't do enough good works. You can't impress God to be righteous. And you cannot buy salvation like Simon the sorcerer wanted to. Rather than buying and rather than impressing, the only thing you can do is believe. You just trust God. And what do you trust? Well, the good news is this. You just trust that God is good. You trust that He knows your weakness, that He knows my weakness, and that His Son Jesus is strong where you are weak, And He is perfect where we are flawed. And He is pure where we're dirty. Simple trust is always the currency of God's kingdom. And the reason it's simple trust, the reason that the currency in God's kingdom is simple trust is because you and I don't have anything else to give. We don't have anything else. We have nothing that's morally impressive to God. We don't always do good works and riches The riches of the kingdom, they can't be bought with gold or silver. And the good news is this, that what you lacked and what I lacked, God has supplied. And if you believe that, God will credit your account to overflowing. Anybody in here weak? If you're weak, or if you're dirty, or if you're not right, if you're not always great, if you're sometimes a wreck, if you're sometimes an addicted person... The good news is, if you will trust that God is good, if you will trust that He is strong where you are weak, if you will trust that He is pure where you are dirty, and if you will trust that He can hold you, He will credit you to overflowing life. Isn't that good news? It's like really good news. You think it's just too easy. Like, what's going on? Is this too easy? No, this is it. This is the good news. God has done something, and if you'll just trust Him, if you'll just begin to trust Him because it's the only thing that you've got, then He will credit your account to overflowing. That's the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel in micro is this. Jesus is Lord. The gospel in miniature is this. Jesus is Lord. It is that Jesus has defeated death by His resurrection. And the really good news is this. Jesus is Lord means this. The really good news is that the very person who was alive and dead and has been raised forever is Jesus. And the reason that that's so good is because that the very person 
who was alive and dead and is now alive again is the very person who has a right to judge you by his standard. And he happens to be the kindest, gentlest, most tender and merciful person in the universe. This is why it's good news. See, if I were raised forever, if I were the judge, it'd be bad news for you. Because I'm not tender, I'm not merciful, I'm not compassionate, and I'm not patient. If anyone else had been raised like Jesus first, it would be bad news for us all. The gospel is good news because the kindest, tenderest, most forgiving, gracious, loving, compassionate person in the universe is Jesus, and he's the one that God raised up. The good news is Jesus is Lord, and the good news is the Lord is Jesus. It's, fun, it's foundational. It's fundamentally wonderful news. And all you have to do is just believe that God's that kind. He's that kind of person. It'll make you smile. When you begin to believe this a little bit, it'll, it'll make you smile. When you begin to put trust in God like that, it'll make you, it'll make you happy on the inside. Like, like, for real. It's almost like it's too good to be true. Are you kidding me? God is that kind? Yep. He is absolutely that kind. He is willing to be strength where you're weak. It'll make you smile. And if you really think about it, if you really think about it, you might even laugh out loud a little bit because at the end of the day, nobody who trusts God in that way is going to get what they deserve. Good news. No one who trusts God and believes that he's a good person is going to get what they deserve. And here's the thing. Everybody in the room right now, you know what you deserve. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to harp on it. Everybody knows what they deserve. And the good news is this. If you trust God this much, you don't get what you deserve. It'll make you smile. It'll make you laugh on the inside. You might even laugh out loud. It might make you do a high kick. No one is going to get what they deserve who trusts in God. No one's going to get what they That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, I mean we, should, we should break out the champagne. believe I will. In case you're wondering, this is. This is real champagne. This ain't sparkling grape juice. TC, you just hang on. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're going to drink the good stuff when your daughter gets married, if you're going to serve the good stuff when your son gets married, what are you going to do when you find out that God is so kind that He is willing to give people what they don't deserve if they'll just believe that He is so kind? Whoa, come on with that. It's intoxicating. It's intoxicating. It's absolutely intoxicating. It's wonderful. It makes you feel unbelievable. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel that Jesus is not going to give anyone who trusts that he's really good what they deserve. It made people crazy. It made people crazy just like it makes us crazy. People, people started to holler just a little bit. And in fact, people started to wonder some things about Paul's gospel and they began to get the idea that it didn't matter what you did or how you lived because God was gracious and he'd forgive you. Do what you want. It's okay in Jesus. Further than that, some people even began to ask, Paul, should we, should we sin even more so that God would give us even more of his grace? Kind of a crazy question, right? Except it's, it's kind of not. It makes logical sense. Like, if God is going to be so kind and forgiving, like, should we just go ahead and sin some more so that God could throw out a little more grace on the, on the world? And, of course, it sounds ridiculous right up until the point, right up until the point you find yourself wanting to do something you know you shouldn't. And when you find yourself wanting to do something you know you shouldn't, you begin to think, hey, maybe I'll just make some, make some use of some good old gospel news right now. <laughs> But here, in the scripture we just read, Paul is setting the record straight. And if you catch what he has to say, if you catch what he has to say, what he is saying, but then also what he is saying in between what he is saying in the passage that we just read, if you catch what he's really saying, you'll do a backflip. 
Now I realize that not everybody in the room is athletic. Maybe you'll just do a somersault. <laughs> you know, like the little kids do, the little... If you catch what Paul's saying, you'll do a somersault. And here's the first thing that Paul is saying. He is saying this. The gospel is not something that just happened to Jesus. The good news is that something didn't simply only happen to Jesus, but the gospel is that something happened to us as well. Something happened to us as well. I'm just going to quickly read some phrases that are taken out of the passage that we just read. Phrases like this. Joined with Christ. Joined in His death. We died and were buried with Christ. Just as Christ was raised from the dead. Now we we may also live new lives. United with Him. Also raised to life as He was. Are you seeing the theme here? Also raised to life as He was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Jesus. Hope you're seeing this. We are no longer slaves to sin. Already. You are already no longer a slave to sin. For when Christ, for, uh, for when we with Christ died, and then on, onward He says, since we died with Christ, we will also live with Him. See, the good news this morning is that every single thing that happened to Jesus somehow happened to you. Every single thing that happened to Jesus has happened to you. Has happened to you. The good news, the good news is that Jesus' death and resurrection were mysteriously individual. And by mysteriously individual, I mean this. The death and resurrection of Jesus actually happened to him. To him. It was Jesus of Nazareth the carpenter's son. He was nailed to a tree. He breathed his last breath. Joseph of Arimathea took his body, put it in his tomb where he laid stone cold dead. He was not passed out. He was not in an altered state. He was dead. And God raised him from the tomb. It actually happened to him. Part of the mystery is something that happened to an individual was at the same time mysterious, mysteriously cosmological the entire cosmos is in jesus everything that happened to jesus happened to the whole world and we know this in the gospels because of all the weird stuff that happened when jesus is nailed to the tree it isn't just one guy who gets nailed to the tree did you notice in the story maybe you read it this week it says that the whole sky turned black what up there what is happening to jesus is everywhere the whole sky turned black rocks were split open there was an earthquake The veil in the temple was torn in two. Not only that, but then there's there's this really weird passage in Matthew where it says, saints of old got out of the grave and went walking around the city. Right? What are the gospel writers trying to tell us? They're trying to tell us that what happened to Jesus has in fact somehow happened to the whole universe. This is part of the good news. Angelic experiences, angelic encounters, torn curtains, Dead people rising up and walking around town like your aunt. She just gets up and goes to McDonald's. The heavens were darkened. Earthquakes. Jesus walked through walls. Y'all know that little part in the Gospel of John where Jesus just like walks through the wall. What the Gospel writers are trying to articulate is that whatever happened in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it was cosmological. It happened to the entire universe, and that includes you, and that includes me. If it happened to him, it has in fact happened to you. This is tremendously good news. Tremendously good news. Now, I also need to tell you, I need to tell you this, especially here in the South, many people, many people believe that God has raised Jesus. Far fewer believe that God is raising us. And that makes all the difference in the world. Lots of people believe that God has raised Jesus. Almost nobody believes that God is raising us. And for the people who do believe that God is raising us, they believe that it's some other time, like later. God is calling us to believe something even more. Now, I will tell you that what we're talking about this morning is a now and a not yet reality. Now and not yet. If you look at verse 3, if you look at verse 3, look at what Paul says. He says, Have you forgotten 
that when we were joined with Christ Jesus? Is that past tense or is that future tense? English majors? Past tense. If it's past tense, does it mean that it's real now or later? The answer is yes. It's real now and it's real now and later. The truth is, this is a now and a not yet reality. Verse three, we're, that this right here is a now reality. You were joined with Christ Jesus. You have been joined with Him. Verse four, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. You have already been. You have already died and you have already been buried with Jesus. And baptism is this wonderful picture. And then if we look at verse five, if we look at verse five, we catch a little picture of the not yet. Paul says we haven't been united, that'd be now. But then he also says, we will also be raised to life as he was, meaning not yet. Everybody in here is alive, you haven't died, but one day you're going to be raised up. There is a now and a not yet component to this. And if you read the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 6 really carefully, one of the things you're going to realize is this. Number one, there's a now and a not yet to this deal. But the thing you're going to realize more than anything is that most of it is now rather than later. I don't have time to go through that, but most of it is now, if you read it really carefully. And what this means, what it means to live in a now and a not yet reality is this. It means that you and I live in tension. It means that we live, we live feeling pulled in two directions. Anybody in here ever feel pulled in two directions? Listen, it, the, the further you go with Jesus, the further you go with Jesus, the more you begin to give your heart and your mind and your body to the good news of the gospel, the more you are going to feel the tug. You are going to feel the now and the not yet. You are going to feel the age to come pulling you, and you're going to feel the very present reality settling you here. It is an okay and it is a normal thing to feel the tension and to feel the pressure of two realities that don't seem to want to mix like oil and water but are in fact joined and joined. And it means we're going to live in te- tension. It means we're going to live between the ages. And there's a wonderful picture. There's a wonderful picture for us in the Old Testament. And it's the picture of the children of Israel. Now Paul here in Romans 6, he talks about how we've been united with Jesus in baptism. That'd be water, Right? There's this wonderful picture, and I believe that Paul is even hinting at it. Uh, when you get baptized, it's like, it's like in some ways, it's like the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea, right? Out of Egypt, out of Egypt, out of one reality, through the Red Sea. And where did they go to next? Wilderness. And they stayed in that wilderness for a while, right? The wilderness was not Egypt, but it was not the promised land. How many of you understand that right now everybody in this room is living in the wilderness? Now and not yet. Now and not yet. There are some things in God that He's going to do later, but man, there's so much that He's doing right now. And how many of you understand that all the supernatural stuff was in the wilderness? A lot of times we talk about I'm having a desert experience with God, like I don't feel Him. Well, we actually need a better metaphor because that's not exactly what was happening when the children of Israel were in the desert. When they were in the desert, they had a cloud by day, they had a fire by night, they had His presence in visible form. They had manna on the ground every single morning. When they complained about that, they got more quail than they could eat. Radical provision. When they went into the promised land, that's when God said, hey, I'll see you guys later, you do it on your own. He was there, just a different way. We need to rethink some of this. What does it mean to live in now and not yet? Part of what it means to live in now and not yet is it means to live in a supernatural atmosphere. You will live in tension. God is doing something. But know this, you can't go back. For everyone who's put trust in Jesus, you can't go back to Egypt. You've passed through the Red Sea. You've passed through and you've passed out of your former way of life. And everyone who comes to Jesus but goes on living like they used to be living is a confounding lie. You need to turn around. You can't do it. Not only that, but every mile we go further with God, every mile we go further with God is one mile closer, and our former way of life is becoming obsolete. To put it another way, if I were to get in my car and begin to drive to Los Angeles right now, every single mile I am increasing in Los Angelesness, and I am decreasing in Campbellsvilleness. This is the nature of the kingdom. See, the good news this morning is this. The good news is that you don't have to live your life in the way that you used to, and you don't have to live your life in a way that is becoming increasingly unfashionable for the age to come. You don't have to to show up in the age to come wearing MC Hammer pants, a Michael Jackson jacket, and a silk shirt. You guys remember the early 90s when everybody wanted MC Hammer pants and a silk shirt? Maybe you didn't. I did. I was that guy. We can actually let go. We can actually let go of our former way of life 
And we can let go of it because we have been raised up with Jesus. We have new life living inside of us. Not only that, we probably ought to let go of it because that way of life is becoming increasingly obsolete. Why invest in something that will get you nowhere? And I know what some people in the room are saying right now. They're beginning to think in their minds, well, what about sin? Can we sin? Yeah, you can sin, but why would you want to? Sure, you can sin. But here's what you need to know about sin. When you sin and when you live out of that place, when you live out of those things that feel so natural, the truth is you're not living out of your truest self. Sin is a manifestation of your old self, your dead self, your false self, your unfashionable self, your middle school dance self. That part of you which is passing away. Sin is foreign. And I know some people in here are going, it's not foreign to me. I know it, man. It's like personal and present. But here's the thing. Sin is ultimately foreign, like somebody who moves here from another country. Sin sin seems like it's the native tongue at first. We remember it so well. We feel it. We know its rhythms and its customs. But in light of the resurrection life, and in light of the fact that God is raising us up for eternity, sin is nothing. And in the view of eternity, it is not even a fading memory. It is not lasting. Like some of us are showing up to God, and we're bringing up things that He's already forgotten. If this makes sense. Can you sin? Yeah, you can. But you're living out of your false self. Your true self is the self that has been raised up with Jesus. It's the self that was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It's the self that was laid in the grave. And it's the self that was raised up. When Jesus was on the cross, he was on the cross for Michael. He was on the cross for me. And he was on the cross for Coach. And he was, we could do this all day long. It wasn't just Jesus up there. It was the cosmos. And when we live in that old self, we are living in a way that has passed away and is going to become increasingly obsolete. We are living a lie. It's foreign. In light of resurrection life, sin is nothing. The truth is, this morning, it's actually possible to live free. It's actually possible to live free. Some of us don't believe this. We we have to start believing this because this is such a big part of the good news. The good news is not just that you're not going to get what you deserve one day. The good news is that you can have what you don't deserve right now. You can live free. You can live free. And the reason you can live free is because you have been united. To use Paul's language, you have been joined. You have been made to be in union with a free man. And there's no one in the universe who's more free than Jesus. You've been crucified, you've been buried, and you've been raised with a free man. Not only that, but Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we have his spirit living in him. The very spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the very spirit that lives in you. And what this means this morning, the really good news is that you don't have to be a drug-addicted person. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be unforgiving. You don't have to be selfish. You don't have to be rotten. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a pill-popping, miserable person. You can be absolutely free because you've been raised up. You have to begin to believe this. The good news is you have been, you have been plugged into freedom. You have, been, you have been somehow mysteriously united with the freest man in the universe who is not taking pills, who is not depressed, who is running over with laughter, who is not bitter, who is totally forgiving, who loves his neighbor and even his neighbor's stupid dog. You have been raised up with the nicest, most generous kind, loving, compassion, forgiving, graceful person in the universe. That's who's living in you, and that's who you are living in. This is a part of the good news. This is the radical, radical good news. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 11. I like to picture it like this. I know it didn't happen this way, but this is the way I like to picture it. I like to picture dead Jesus laying in the tomb. And I like to picture Holy Spirit coming over to dead Jesus. I realize the Holy Spirit doesn't have a hand, but if the Holy Spirit had a hand, it helps to visualize it. If the Holy Spirit had a hand, I like to picture the Holy Spirit leans over dead Jesus and taps him on the head three times and Jesus' eyes open up and he says, hey, what took you so long? 
And then Jesus gets up. The very same Holy Spirit who taps Jesus on the head three times and wakes him up. It's the very same Holy Spirit who lives in you. It's the very same Jesus you live in. We have been raised up. We have been united. The good news this morning is is this. The good news is not just you don't have to go to hell. The good news is that you can have heaven and you can have it now. So what do we do? So what do we do? Well, here's what we do. We do verse 11. If we can put that back up. We do verse 11. This is what Paul says. So you, me, you, you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. How do you do this? You do this by considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Part of what that means is, it means that entering into resurrection life is going to be in the mind. So much of entering into resurrection life is entering into the reality and it's, right here so many of us are stuck and we're stuck right here we don't believe it we have to begin to believe some things and we actually have to begin to believe some things that we don't think are true now here's the irony of it uh we're people who already believe ridiculous things let's don't stop at one ridiculous thing let's just go ahead and believe all kinds of ridiculous things some of you are like what are you talking about hey by the way we're the people who believe that some dude lived two thousand years ago got nailed to a tree was buried somehow got resurrected and that was good news for us if you believe that then go ahead and believe the whole enchilada go ahead don't don't take one bite eat the whole thing come on like like don't be offended by something that sounds too good to be true don't be offended by me telling you this morning that you can be a free person don't be offended this morning by me telling you you don't have to be addicted to this stuff don't be offended this morning by me telling you you don't have to be an internet pornography person don't be offended this morning by me telling that you could actually live free right now that heaven could show up early don't be offended by that stuff you already believe ridiculous stuff we already believe that Jesus woke up 2,000 years ago and it meant something good for you let's just eat the whole meal come on let's sit down let's don't take one bite let's just keep eating it let's believe more and more ridiculous things they already think we're crazy let's they, let's let them know that we're we're nuts we've we've lost our brains man my filter kicked in there the holy spirit is here you guys <laughs> pastor adam just didn't say something he about said some of y'all know what i about said too And we just rebuke that in the name of Jesus. But the point is this. Don't get hung up on the fact that this sounds ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. We believe that we believe that Noah had an ark and they got all the animals in it. I mean, come on. We believe that God made people out of mud and he breathed his life in it. Like, are you kidding me? We believe all kinds of crazy stuff. We believe, we believe that Joshua made the sun stand still. We believe that they went around the city of Jericho seven times, they blew a trumpet, and the whole wall fell down. Are you kidding me? Let's believe the real stuff here. The stuff that everybody from those times was aching to see what abraham was looking for when he left his mama and his daddy let's believe it this is the good news are you kidding me don't let one little point here or there jack you up lean in lean in man i'm telling you and this is an enchilada you start eating this enchilada let me tell you about this enchilada (laughs) this is the weirdest enchilada you'll ever eat in your whole entire life this enchilada is an enchilada that at, the, at one time, in one way, it satisfies you. You're hungry. Everybody in here is hungry. You eat this enchilada, you will get so satisfied. It will touch places in your heart and in your life and in your mind and in your soul that you never knew could be touched. You could be alive. You will be so satisfied. And at the same time, you just get more and more hungry. You just kind of keep eating that enchilada. Come on. Don't stop at one ridiculous thing. You've got to exercise your faith. And some of us are like, man, I don't, feel, I don't feel like I'm someone who's dead to the power of sin. I feel, like, I feel like I'm very alive to the power of sin. Well, let me just say something about feelings. Number one, feelings are good. Number one, feelings are good. And number two, feelings, feelings, they're the first and the loudest liars. Let me just tell you, they're the first and the loudest liars. Uh, you got in by faith and you will continue on by faith. It's not like you exercise a little bit of faith up front and then we just coast the rest of the way. Heck no. Until we come out of the desert, until we come out of the wilderness, until we walk into the promised land, until Jesus shows up 
until then, it's going to be faith every step of the way. You can't come in by ridiculous and hope that you're going to get there by intellectual uh, astuteness. You come in by ridiculousness, you enter in by ridiculousness. You keep going by ridiculousness. You, you come in by faith, you keep going by faith. You, it doesn't become smarter at the end of the day. And by the way, this story, it ain't, going to be, it ain't going to be satisfying for some people. You just have to keep going. Don't get hung up on one ridiculous thing. Let's just go ahead and eat the whole enchilada. The other thing I would like to say about consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin is this. Uh, it's not always easy. In fact, it's a lot of times it's really hard and it's slow. We've been taught that a lot of this stuff is fast and easy. It's not fast and easy. The reality is fast and easy. The feeling is slow and hard. Uh, some of us some of us right now, we're just really struggling. And you feel like you're alive to sin. And you feel like there's no resurrection life in you. And, and here's the deal. The transition of feeling not that into the true self of who you really are in Jesus, that may take a while, and that's okay. Lean in. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't be put off by the fact it's a little bit difficult. Listen, y'all, the valuable stuff is oftentimes difficult. If it's easy, everybody would have it. If everybody would have it, it's worth nothing. Like, let's lean in. Let's lean in. Some of it is not easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to untrain ourselves, but we can. It's slow. It's not always easy, but it is possible. And so the Easter proclamation this morning is this. Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. And so are we. And don't ever leave off the so are we part. Most, most Easter sermons are just Jesus was dead and now he's alive. That's good news. But the really good news, the reason that he was dead and now is alive, the reason that God has a smile on his face is because you are alive. He was dead, but now he's alive and so am I. Before you go to bed tonight, you ought to shout that at your neighbors. See how that goes over. See, everything that's happened to him is happening to us. We have been joined to eternal life. We have been married to the life that is stronger than death and God will not divorce us. We are being transformed. We're being transformed right now, right here, from the inside out. Jesus said a little bit of yeast hidden into a lump of dough. You're the dough. His kingdom is the yeast. It is going to work all the way through, whether you feel it, whether you see it, whether you know it. Just start believing it. Not only that, but you and I are are alive with a particular kind of life. It's not just life that doesn't end. It's not just a succession of years, but it's a particular kind of life. Eternal life isn't endless years only. Eternal life is the compassionate, gracious, merciful, forgiving, happy, joyful, not bummed out life. That's what eternal life is. That's the good stuff. By the way, endless years of more misery that you're already experiencing doesn't sound like heaven, sounds like hell. Eternal life, you can have it right now, is love, joy, peace. Y'all remember that, right? Some of that Galatian stuff that you learned in kiddie school. It's here and it's now. So you need to lean in. Don't settle for eternal life later. You got to live out of your truest self now. Now in a room like this, most of us in the room have at least the seed and the germ of this kind of life. And we're learning to live into it. Most of us here have the seed and we have the germ. And now we're just learning how to live into it. But not everyone here does. I'm sure that in a room this size, that there are some people in this room who have never, never begun to believe that, that Jesus did something and that it included them. I'm sure that in a room this size, there are some people here who have never put their faith and their trust in God. I'm sure that in a room this size, there are a person or two here who have never trusted God, never trusted them with their afterlife, and certainly never trusted them with their present life. And if that's you this morning, you need to trust Jesus. You need to go ahead and do that. Here's what I'd like to do. If you've never trusted Jesus in your life, if you've never, if you've never leaned into the goodness of God's kingdom, if you've never reached out and you've, if you've never believed ridiculous things about you and God, and if you've never believed ridiculous things about eternal life and it including you, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to stand up right where you are. Anybody here? Anybody here never believe ridiculous things and you need to? Anybody? If that's you, just stand up right where you are. I'm going to take a moment. I'm in no hurry. We're already late for lunch. Early for dinner, baby. 
Anybody here who needs to just, who needs to say yes to Jesus and begin to believe something ridiculous? By the way, we had, we had new life spring up in first service. Why not second? Come on with that. It was awesome. Anybody? I know it's awkward to stand up in front of a room full of people. I know it's weird. But if you've never done it, you need to do it. We're just going to give you one more moment. Okay. Here's what we'll do. Everybody stand up. I'm going to pray a prayer. And we'll go eat some turkey and some ham. Is that all right? Jesus is into that, by the way. All the Gospels agree that when Jesus got up, one of the first things he did is went to eat. Jesus could hang out in the vineyard. (laughs) He gets it. Hey, why don't you do this this morning? Why don't you just put your hand on your heart? Let's just, let's pray some ridiculous stuff. Lord, would you open up our hearts and our minds to begin to believe insane things that make no sense? God, we ask that you would give us grace to not only believe the ridiculousness that you got up and it included me, but God, we ask that you would give us grace to believe that we could live free right now. God, we ask that the kingdom of the heavens would begin to break into this present age. God, we ask that the goodness of your life would begin to course through our veins. God, for every single person who is in need, for every person who is weak, for every person who is tender, God, we ask that you would come and that you would be our strength. God, we ask that we would begin to see ourselves in you. And God, we ask for grace to live out of our truest self and not our false self. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who is wonderful because he was raised up. Amen. Amen. Give somebody a high five and a hug. Give somebody a high five and a hug. All right, go kiss your mama.